You know, this requires uh, broader reform. This requires legislative reform. Um, this requires legislative reform in the form of removing the profit incentive that municipalities have to use their police and to use their municipal courts as revenue generators instead of systems of justice. Welcome in, boys and girls. Another uh, fantastic episode of your favorite weekly politics podcast, Alabama Politics This Week, with Josh Moon and David Person. Oh, how are you, David? Man, man. Well, you know what? It's a beautiful day today, so I'm, I'm it good. It's a beautiful it day is. today. It is a beautiful day today, isn't it? It's, uh, it's, it's another day in paradise around here. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, the... Uh, birds are singing, and yeah. you know it's, it's nice. It's uh, it's getting warmer, and you know how I like it hot. So yeah, uh, yeah. I, I could stand for it to be about twenty degrees warmer or so, and uh, the humidity to be up at about one hundred and ten. Uh, but uh, you know, otherwise, what? Uh, <laughs> oh, you don't like it hot? No, man. No. Oh yeah, man. I like it where you where you just look outside and you start sweating. Yeah, yeah I like it. I like it like that. <laughs> yeah, I don't. It don't bother me at all, man. I get out. I go out and go running. It don't bother me. I love it. Uh, uh, and I don't even like to run, but I'll run when it's hot. You run when it's hot, though. Yeah, it's okay. a. I don't know, man. It's, I'm weird like that. I just, um, you know, you always have more fun in the summertime, so I like it to be hot. Okay. Uh, well, okay. you know, we're getting there slowly but surely. We're getting slowly, there. slowly. Yeah, slowly. It's um. All right, um, your girl. K. Your girl is is killing me, man. She's the governor. Me. She is. Um, she. I guess maybe she saw some polling numbers that looked like she was not going to be able to avoid a runoff with Tim James, and so I find that just stunning. If that's indeed true, well, you I, know, she hadn't been crazy enough, David. She hadn't. She hadn't been crazy enough to satisfy the Republicans, and so mm. Tim James is is peeling off uh, crazy ass Republicans. Uh, left and right because he, you know, he running pictures of uh, school kids, mm-hmm. uh, you know, so he could vilify them and, and force them to increase security at their school campus, um, which is a thing that has happened in this mm-hmm. state. Somebody running for governor has vilified students, used their actual pictures yeah. in his television ads, uh, and now the school has increased security because they're worried about threats that they've received. So, yeah. yeah. Well, you know, from a political standpoint, if I, you know, just being very, um, hmm, I'll say just being very uh, overtly political about it, mm-hmm. what he's done is effective. Now, I find it repulsive. I find it objectionable. I would even argue that it's immoral because, as you said, the focus of his ads really ultimately, no matter what he says, it's the children. Mm -hmm. It's the children at this school, this magic city school. But, uh, but again, uh, you know, if you're trying to provide red meat to the base, I mean, I haven't seen any meat redder than what he's been doing with these ads, you know? Well, um, uh, maybe you have not seen Kay Ivey's ads. Uh, 
the most recent one uh, in which uh, she talks about uh, migrants uh, at the border and immigrants. Well, no, no, and, I mean on this topic. I'm talking oh, about I know this you're topic. Saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. She's, on the transgender she's, topic. Uh, yeah, he's, he's red meat in it, uh, there's no doubt. And so uh, it seems as though that has, that has forced, I don't want to say that because it lets her off the hook uh, in some way. And I don't want that to, to seem as though that's what I'm saying here. Um, I'm not letting her off the hook in any way, shape, or form. Um, no, she shouldn't be let off the hook. No, no uh, she has created or starred in uh, some of the most hateful ads that I've seen in a while. Uh the latest one being this ad about migrants at the border and immigrants, which is entitled No Way Jose. You know, which, you know, I said on Twitter this week, if, if election after election, because I guarantee you one of the things that she would say privately to people is, well, you know, I'm I'm gonna have to do this so I can avoid this this runoff on this thing, and you know, and I, I'm gonna have to I'm have to you know just do these crazy ads and say these crazy things because that's what these people want to hear, mm-hmm. uh, and we're we're losing voters to the to these people, so I've got to do it. Well, you know, if election after election, Republicans, um, more the more moderate Republicans, continue to say to everybody. That that's what they're having to do. Oh, wait, listen, we're forced. We're being forced to do this. We got it. We got to do it. You got to play this role. You got to do these things. Shouldn't at some point you question just who the hell it is that you're trying to get votes from and, and, well, and, and why you're not doing a better job as a party of educating these people that what they believe is wrong? I mean, it's just like our ad about the damn election being stolen. Then nobody mm-hmm. stole the election. Mm-hmm. Shut up. You know, it's been mm-hmm. left wing, big tech liberals. You know, I mean, nobody, it's not stolen from anybody, but you've got to repeat this ridiculous lie that she knows full well is a lie. There is not a Republican out there. There is not a sane Republican out there. And I, you know, I, that seems to be a shrinking group at this point, but who who believes that that election was stolen? Not right. one. Right. Not one, including Kay Ivey. She right. doesn't believe that. Right. And, you know, but here we are saying this nonsense to appease this group of people that in reality, what you could be doing is educating those people because they're obviously easily misled so they can be just as easily led. Well, this is this is the thing, Josh. Uh, there, there is a virus infected the state of Alabama several hundred years ago. And it is and it has never been eradicated. And that's it's the same virus that gave us, you know, the Knight Riders and the Ku Klux Klan and Jim Crow. And, uh, of course, the 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 enslavement of 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 uh, African, uh, uh, you know, people and the and the eradication of the indigenous people. It's the same damn virus. And it just continues to manifest itself. It mutates and becomes something different, you know, for different eras in our history. And so now the mutation is targeting brown people, you know, people of Hispanic descent, uh, Latino people, mm-hmm. and uh, and they're just treating them like they're not real. They're treating them like they're treating them no better than animals, you know. Yeah. 
And uh, and it's the same damn virus, man. It's it's unconscionable. It's outrageous. It's highly offensive. And these people call themselves Christian people. Yeah. They call themselves Christian people, which mm-hmm. offends me as a Christian. Makes me yeah. angry. Well, I, you know, I, I heard somebody say the other day that there's uh, there's no uh, hate quite like uh, Christian love these days. Hmm. Um, and um, you know, it's. Um, hmm. You know that hit that, that hit home for a lot of people. You know, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, uh, I can't argue with it. I can't argue as a, as a church going person. I cannot argue with what you just said. Well, you know, and and you're right because it hits on it, it plays on the basic fears of the unknown or things that are unfamiliar or things that are weird or whatever. And you see it. You've seen it in in its most deplorable. <laughs> manifestation in this last legislative session where they attack those children, those transgender children Mm -hmm. um, with a completely false and fabricated narrative that these doctors and these parents, these irresponsible doctors and parents are going in and performing these irreversible surgeries on these kids, changing them overnight from boys to girls, you know, just on a whim when that is a complete and utter fabrication of it. And, you know it's a complete and utter fabrication of it because people have gone out and talked about what goes into this, not to mention the doctors, the medical professionals, the standards of practice all say that this is not how this works. You right. don't they don't do this. They don't they don't perform these sorts of surgeries, these irreversible things on minors. Never. Right. They never do it. It's it's not part of the practice. Not to mention it makes it seem as though these things are just this you know, oh, uh, one day we woke up and we decided this sort of thing. Right. These people, my God, these people are have gone through absolute hell in most cases. Mm-hmm. They have attempted endlessly to to help their children uh, assimilate into some sort of normal life, and they are to the point where they know that there is a chance that they're going to lose that child. You know, in whatever fashion, to suicide. And, yeah, suicide mainly because that's the yeah. you know they yeah. have a extremely high rate. Yeah, and and so all they're attempting to do is help that child feel normal, feel better. You know, help them. That's all they want to do. And to a person, and we had we had a sheriff's deputy stand up in front of our uh, lawmakers and say, "Listen, my child went through this." I would have never, I'm a good old boy from backwoods, Alabama. I would never have envisioned myself being in this position, but I wanted to help my child. And that's what I did. And my child is healthier and happier today than ever before because of what we did. You know, you criminalize that. They criminalize yeah, that. And, and, and really, vi- in violation of their own, and we've talked about this before, you know, in violation of their own so-called philosophies about, you know, fe- the family being sacrosanct and, mm-hmm. and uh, not interfering with the decisions of parents and government stay out of our homes. And yet here they are, you know, like two, two uh, fascist left feet stomping into mm-hmm. the homes of other people telling them what they can or can't do with their own children. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Oh, it is ridiculous. And again, I'm going to go back to, to Kay Ivey after she signed these bills. Um, there are very real challenges facing our young people, especially with today's societal pressures and modern culture. 
I believe very strongly that if the good Lord made you a boy, you are a boy. And if he made you a girl, you are a girl. We should especially protect our children from these radical life-altering drugs and surgeries when they are at such a vulnerable stage in life. Instead, let us all focus on helping them to properly develop into the adults God intended them to be. Now, I want to say a couple of things. Number one, the, she, again, used the completely fabricated scenario here, which does not exist, of you know the, these life-changing, permanent-changing drugs and, and uh, surgeries. That doesn't happen with, with children. But I would like to say, everywhere in this, where I said, where, where Kay Ivey said, the good Lord made you, uh, God intended. Substitute God for the God of a different religion. And read it out loud to yourself and ask yourself if, if, what your reaction to that would be if somebody said it. If somebody said Allah had, uh, you know, this is what Allah intended. You know, this is, that's, you know, would everybody mm-hmm. be okay with that? Would everybody be okay with justifying uh, intrusion into the lives of of doctors and patients and uh, and children and and their families would everybody be okay with that? From if we were justifying it by uh, by using the name of a god of a different religion, right. would that be okay? Yeah, Vishnu or um, yeah, you know, Buddha. Yeah. yeah, Buddha said that I should. You know, you shouldn't. You should be a boy if you were born a boy. Yeah. You know? Well, you know, you're you're right. Of course, that there is a uh, that there's a um, hypocritical and discriminatory sort of bent to this whole thing uh, with the insertion of religion. But mm-hmm. I'm going to, but I'm actually going to take it in another direction, Josh. So let's, uh, l- let's take that phrase. So if God makes you a boy, then you're a boy. Mm-hmm. Well, what does that mean to the intersex child? Yeah. Is that exactly. child a boy or a girl? Yeah. And how do you know? Yeah. How do you know? What does that mean to the child who's uh, who may be born with one set of uh, genitalia instead of two sets, which is the ultimate definition of intersex or the or the I guess uh, the the most uh, common uh, 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 definition and understanding of intersex. But what about the child who's uh, who it's and this is scientifically determined children that have uh the hormonal makeup of a of a male but the genitalia of a female is that uh, a girl is that well, a girl listen. yeah well listen david god doesn't make mistakes you know that that whole thing about you know that that's that's part of what frustrates me as a christian this sort of very immature um, spiritually immature and just uh, unbiblical and even just frankly, frankly dumb mm-hmm. kind of way of trying to uh, simplify, oh, uh, you know, something that is enormously yes. complicated. You know, uh, all of creation is uh, is is complicated and complex. Yes. And to try to try to dumb it down to something that's well, it's either this or that. That's not yeah. real life. No, that's not real life oh, in any man, shape it, or form. And no. and God, you know, you can throw God's name around all you want. The bottom line is, it's still not real life. 
No, no, you man, know? you're so right about it. God, you're so right about that whole thing. You're, and, and the, well, it drives me insane to watch people try to oversimplify everything because they want, they want to boil everything down to mm-hmm. just a basic, uh, you know, just a basic answer that they can wrap their brain around real quickly, uh, mm-hmm. you know, so they don't have to think about it too much. And, and if it's more complicated than that, then I, listen, that's weird. I don't want to, I don't even want to worry about it. And, you know, I, I watched a, an interview. Uh, between uh, Nicole Hannah-Jones and Chris Wallace, uh, in which they were talking about the greatest generation. And Chris Wallace took exception to her saying the greatest generation in, uh, had a lot of racists in it, you know? And, uh, uh, and you know, how can you say that? You know, there's God. She's like, well, how, what do you mean? How can I say that? These black men went over and fought for their country and died in the same, uh, at the same rate as their white uh, counterparts. And they came back here and they didn't have any more rights than when they left. They Thank still couldn't you. vote. You know, you. in a lot of places. And, and and he was saying, well, but those those kids coming out of the cornfields in Indiana and Iowa, they didn't do that. And she was like, who do you think they were? <laughs> yes, of course they did. And I mean, and it was just like it was so impossible for Chris Wallace to say that these these kids that went over and stormed the beaches at Normandy, who did this great, great thing. And this is heroic I mean, the the honest to God, the, I, I one of my newfound things is reading World War II stuff, and I mean, my, I don't, my God, that to watch what was going on there and still storm that damn beach, I, you just, I can't even fathom it. it. So they did this, and they saved the world from fascism like we've never known. All right, and and these horrific, horrible people that we've never known. But they also did these other things, yeah. okay? Yeah. And, and along the way, some of them learned to be better people and to treat uh, people of color better than they were treating them at that point. So they can be the greatest generation, but also some racists in there, you know? Well, they, the, they can, just, just like the founding fathers could be the founding fathers and yes. some damn slaveholders. Yes, absolutely. I mean, come on. What, what yeah. kind of... That's just dumb. Chris I Wallace know. sounds like an idiot. I know. It's just, he just kind of like, well, I, you know, those kids didn't do that. They were, that wasn't those guys. And I'm, man, stop it. You know, and it's just, you, you can't, they, they were them. They, they, they believe those things. And, and it's also the, the old standby of, well, you know, that's just the way it was and everybody was doing it. No, 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 not in the founding father's case, not in the Civil War case, not in Jim Crow case. There were people who stood up and said, this shit is wrong. We got to do better, you know, Uh, in every case. And not in the case of these children who are trans children, as you said earlier, trying to figure out you know, life and their families who are trying to love them and support them and protect them, trying to navigate through this, this complicated, you know, thing of gender and sexuality, you know, it's the same thing. You know, you just got dumb people standing on the sidelines trying to oversimplify things that are just, no matter how you, how you slice it, it's just going to be complicated. And, and, and I'll say this final thing. If you call yourself a Christian and you can't look at life, and I mean, this applies to me, it applies to anybody that claims to be a Christian. If we can't look at people and look at life through the lenses of compassion Mm -hmm. and love, then we're not living up to the Christian standard. 
and nope. and the horrific treatment that we allow to be imposed on people that we don't agree with or we don't understand because they're different skin color or culture or gender identity or sexual preference we got to do better but- we are we are way way below standard and we got to do better yeah and uh, and listen this is your Easter message from us, okay? Amen. To just, that. Yeah. Uh, well, I didn't even listen, know I was going to be preaching on Easter, but well, hey, man, you can. Amen. Amen. <laughs> yeah. Tell. Uh, I, I will. Uh, and, and to your point, a Utah governor, Spencer Cox, had the same bills before him, the same bullshit about transgender sports and transgender uh, surgeries and all this stuff and, and therapies and things. He vetoed them. He, because he went out, because this dealt with children and people kept telling him these children are at risk. You've got to go and talk to these parents. You've got to go and talk to these kids. You've got to go and have a better understanding of this because you're putting their lives at risk. And damn it, he did it. Mm-hmm. He went out and he talked to them and those kids and those parents told him their stories, and he walked back out crying and said, I can't do this to them. We're not going to, we're not taking this stand over here over nonsense. We're not going to do this. We're going to, we're going to protect these kids. I've sworn to protect them, and that's what I'm going to do. And he, he vetoed. And so, in the, right along with all these other people who knew better over the course of history, there are people who knew better today and have taken a stand and maybe we should pay more attention to them than we do to the assholes who don't, but, you know, and, and make that something that, that we hold up and shine a light on, uh, instead of, you know, just saying, here's, here's a person doing crazy things. Uh, and you know, they're, they're awful, but you know, it, it just, God, man, it, it there are, it, it drives me insane to watch this because as I've said, uh, or I said earlier, if they can, if people can be so easily misled, then they can just as easily be led to the right direction. And you choosing not to do it at, at certain times because it's more personally beneficial to you is not a viable excuse and a viable reason for doing it. Uh, right. You know, you you're just hurting people for for no reason. And then when you attempt to invoke God's name and doing it, you know, maybe you ought to read the whole the whole book. Maybe you ought to read the whole thing. There's a whole, this whole other testament at the back uh, that, uh, you know, a lot, a lot of parts in red I don't think you've gotten to yet. So yeah, uh, maybe right. try that. That's right. Uh, all right. We'll slide out of here. Uh, we're we're going to come back with a gentleman whose name I will butcher endlessly. Um, and, um, and, but completely respect his work and what he's yes. doing. And, and then we're going to talk about the, uh, the Brookside situation and the lawsuit that that's a uh, class action lawsuits taking place. And uh, he was one of the attorneys on, on that case. And we'll kind of fill us in on some of the horrific stories that uh, have flowed out of that. I mean, just my God. But anyways, Alabama politics this week, back in a minute. I'm David Person with Alabama Politics This Week. You know, you listen to me and Josh every week, and we have a blast as we talk about Alabama politics and culture and as we interview newsmakers and journalists about 
Alabama politics and culture. Thanks for your support of this great podcast. And I hope that you will continue to not only listen, but to share it with your friends and also give us a rating on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you're listening to it. Thanks a lot. All righty, welcome back. Alabama Politics This Week, Josh Moon, David Person, and we are happy now to be joined by an attorney uh, that is representing uh, a number of uh, folks in the Brookside situation. Um, and I'm going to say his name. And then he's going to come in after me and correct me on the pronunciation of his name. And that's perfectly fine. I, but I would like to attempt it because I would like to at least attempt to show him the respect that he deserves here. So uh, <laughs> it is Attorney Jabba Sitsuashvili. And how close was I? That was really close. That was really good, Josh. <laughs> um, it's it's Tsitsuashvili, so you pretty, pretty much got it. Yeah, well, you froze up there too, Josh. The screen froze, so that may have affected the pronunciation. That's right. Well, I'm sure that's what it was. That's, uh, so that's how it had always worked in my life, too. Whenever, I, whenever I've done anything wrong, it's because my screen froze or my brain, one or the other. Uh, <laughs> all right, so uh, Java, uh, I guess uh, we've all heard now uh, or at least everybody in the state of Alabama, I think, has heard of uh, the Brookside situation uh, where the, there was obviously widespread police abuse that was taking place, a uh, number of illegitimate traffic stops. Uh, uh, they were essentially policing for profit uh, there and, and doing so at a rate that is was unfathomable to most people when uh, John Archibald and L.com broke the story about the, what was taking place there. So I guess... Um, to start with, just kind of explain to people how, how you got involved. And I know it's a, it's, it's headed towards a class action lawsuit. Um, and, and so just kind of explain, you know, what that means and, and where y'all are at this point and things. Sure. Yeah. So um, my, my organization, the Institute for Justice, you know, we heard about this a few months ago, um, thanks to John Archibald's reporting. And when we saw some of the figures and some of the, the some of the stories that were being reported, it sounded like one of the most kind of egregious uh, instances of policing for profit that we'd seen in a long time. So we began, um, you know, investigating the situation. And what what we came to tend to realize uh, was that this was a system that was systematically implemented police abuses all with the kind of single-minded goal of raising as much revenue for the town and for the police as possible. Um, so, you know, we've spoken to dozens of people at this point, and it, what's remarkable is how consistent their stories are. Uh, I, you know, I would, I'd be happy to share kind of this, the sure. stories of some of, of our clients. Um, like you said, we filed the suit as a class action. We currently have four clients who uh, are what are called the named plaintiffs in the case, right? Um, and they seek to represent what are known as classes of people who've been affected and harmed in the same ways as they have by Brookside's abusive policing and towing practices. So the, their, their names are Brittany Coleman, Brandon Jones, Shakitha Grant, and Alexis Thomas. And um, at this stage, we, we're at the very early stages of the, of the lawsuit where we just filed it a couple of weeks ago. We expect the defendants to try to have the case dismissed. Um, and we know hopefully we'll, we'll, we'll beat that back. And mm -hmm. after that, we will begin um, the process of discovery of kind of exchanging of documents and um, trying to get the class certified, which means basically that the judge recognizes that um, 
this this has happened to a lot of people and that the folks that we represent are typical of those experiences. Right, right. Uh, just looking at um, at the stories that have come out of, of Brookside uh, in the aftermath of the initial reporting that took place, it seems as though a lot of people there are, even the ones in the position of power, are owning up to uh, the, you know, I think they call them mistakes, which, you know, makes it seem like they tripped and fell down and arrested a bunch of people. Uh, but, you know, the I guess they've owned up to this being a huge problem there. So I'm curious as to, what their defense is that they are trying and, and, and what are their grounds for trying to have the case dismissed? Well, so I won't uh, I won't pretend to kind of get, give them fodder for for those bases because sure. they haven't made those arguments yet. We haven't actually seen them yet. OK, OK. Um, but I but I will point out, you know, when you say that they've, you know, quote, owned up to some of these mistakes um, or, you know, however you want to phrase it. I think it's a little bit hard to take those folks at their word when they say that Brookside <laughs> is reforming or changing, because yeah. the reality is that the same folks that are in power now. Were the, were the folks that have been empowered throughout the entirety of this scheme and this system um, that includes the mayor, that includes the judge, and that includes the prosecutor. So yes, um, Mike Jones, the police chief, has uh, has resigned, but every other policymaker remains in place. Um, and, and you know, it's important to remember that the mayor, when Mike Jones was when when he, he was saying to John Archibald that a six hundred percent increase in revenue for the town from from fines and forfeitures was a quote failure because he could be raking in so much more cash off of you know poor people that the mayor was the current mayor was sitting there and nodding right along. So I don't know that we can necessarily take Brookside at its word. So ultimately that what that tells us is that you know, this requires uh, broader reform. This requires legislative reform. Um, this requires legislative reform in the form of removing the profit incentive that municipalities have to use their police and to use their municipal courts as revenue generators instead of systems of justice. Yeah. Well, I, listen, I, real quick before David asks a couple of questions, I, 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 I don't know what you're talking about with the mayor because he's clearly said he didn't know. He didn't know. And so, I mean, you know, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's as preposterous a stance I've ever, uh, as I've ever seen from somebody, but now I, and I take it as it's a well taken point. I, I, they are still in charge. I, I was just curious. I thought maybe they had filed uh, something in the case uh, that, that indicated what they were going to argue here, but, uh, you know, it's, uh, you know, oof, they, those guys. Mercy. To to uh, to follow up on Josh's point, uh, Jabba, um, this is clearly a. Um, it's not just the police here in policing, even though I think initially that's how I viewed it, and and maybe how others viewed it. This is a much more uh, pervasive problem in that town, and so now I want to ask you, since you bring in this legislative. Um, uh, consideration here that it's really ultimately got to be resolved by legislation. Is that because you also believe that this may be happening in other towns in Alabama? Uh, yes, absolutely. Um, so just to touch really quickly, um, you know, on the question of how this goes beyond just the police, right? Um, the police are kind of the the folks who operationalize this Right. Because they're the ones who have the power to stop people, to tow their cars, to issue bogus tickets, um, to strand people on the side of the road, to arrest them in hopes of extracting uh, 
bond fees that also went directly to Brookside. So there's a lot of the the police have a lot of the power and on the ground kind of um, ability to implement these abuses. But you need a court system and a, and a prosecutor that kind of also is uh, going along and not only going along, but also uh, making sure that those those tickets turn into actual revenue. Right. By adjudicating them and, and, and finding people guilty, et cetera, et cetera. So 100 percent right that it goes beyond the police. But at the same time, the Brookside police had very much of a eat what you kill kind of incentive, because as the mayor explained, more than f- half a million dollars in 2020 went right back to the police department. So of the fines and forfeitures that Brooks had raised in 2020, it was a little over $600,000, which is an 1100% increase from 2017. And of that amount, uh, like I said, more than half a million of it went right back to the police. Uh, so to address your question then of, you know, does this go beyond Brookside? It absolutely does. We've heard stories of similar um, schemes throughout Alabama as we've been guess- investigated the situation. And it also reaches uh, beyond Alabama it's really a nationwide problem of uh, localities and municipalities using fines and fees to fund uh, to fund themselves, basically to fund the policymakers, to fund the police, to fund the courts, and what they and they do this on the backs of the people who can least afford to pay, right? They they target low income communities, they target communities of color, they target the folks who will then be really ensnared by these fines and fees and unable to get out of it. And what happens is um, once you kind of have these balloon really, and you have a ticket, you can't pay it. And then you have a warrant out for your arrest. And now you're in, you're caught up in the criminal justice system. Now you're, you're going to jail. Then you're, you're missing time off of work. Maybe you're losing your job. Maybe you're losing your car. You can't, your license gets suspended. So all of these things, they really stack up and they make it so that, that um, you know, these fines and fees really do criminalize poverty at the end of the day. Sure. And, and you get no argument from me on any of that. I'm, I'm right with you from start to finish, though. I do want to toss out this caveat. We know that we have traffic laws for a reason. We know that there, we've got to create uh, environments in cities and towns where people can, get from point A to point B safely. And we know, well, I'll speak for myself. I know that there are times that I speed. I may uh, uh, run a questionably through a yellow light (laughs) or a stop sign here and there. What's a reasonable approach that you think towns can implement so that, I mean, if you can, if you're going to legislate this, it seems to me as though we have to account for the reality that there are, you know, uh, mild lawbreakers like myself at times. So what, what, what's a reasonable approach, you know, for, so that towns can implement something that's fair and not predatory? Yeah, absolutely. So there's nothing unconstitutional about issuing tickets for actual violations and especially violations that may endanger safety, right? Nobody's claiming that that's, that's the problem. The problem is when there's an incentive to do so, mag- to maximize the police's own profit, 
right? Or to maximize the town's profit. So it's really about um, removing incentives, right? So the key here is that it can't be, like I said, like a basically an eat what you kill system, right? Where if you know, where the police and the municipal court know that the more fines they impose, the more will go right back to their own salaries. For example, in Brookside, the police uh, used that half a million, half a million dollars to buy, you know, expensive black SUVs, unmarked SUVs. Uh, they opened a new jail. They instituted a SWAT team for this tiny town with virtually zero serious crime. So uh, the idea again comes back to incentives. If that, if you know that that money is going to go to a, like a, let's say a state general fund rather than right back to the folks who are enforcing it, that removes, that removes those incentives. And so the key really is one of the things that the legislature actually recently did in Alabama was they passed a bill um, capping the amount that uh, localities could collect from fines and fees or the amount of their, uh, of their budget, sorry, that could come from fines and fees at 10%. Now, to be clear, that that's a good start, but it's really just a start because 10% is still a very high amount. Uh, the, you know, the, the typical amount should be, you know, 1%, maybe 2%, but you know, there's over, I think around close to 600 jurisdictions around the U S that do hit that 10% number. And that 10% number, uh, courts around the country have recognized it as presumptively unconstitutional. So for the legislature to pass this bill, like I said, it's a good start, but it doesn't ultimately address the issue because 10% is still a lot. Jabba, this is a red state, very conservative legislature. What are the chances that they're going to pass anything that would uh, come close to what you want to, to disincentivize uh, these sorts of predatory practices? Sure. So it's it's been very heartening to see uh, the the bill that did that the bill that did just make it through the Alabama Senate the the ten percent cap one that I just mentioned. Yeah. So that did that did manage to make it through. Um, and you know I think this is I think folks recognize recognize that this is a problem that transcends partisanship. It transcends red or blue. Um, in fact, when this news first broke. Uh, Alabama's lieutenant governor was one of the who I'm, uh, who I'm fairly certain is a Republican. Uh, you know, he was one of the first to come out and say that this is that th- this is outrageous. And it, I don't I, I'm, I'm not quoting him at this point, but he did recognize it as a problem and said that something would be done about it. So this can this transcends this transcends party in a lot of ways, because people, regardless of their political leanings, understand that the purpose of the police is supposed to be to serve and protect. It's not supposed to be to ticket, tow, and collect, right? They're not there to generate revenue. They're, they're supposed to be there to, um, to preserve public safety. Yeah, well, that's, uh, yeah, that was uh, my boy, Will Ainsworth, uh, as we, uh, <laughs> <laughs> often on this show. Uh, I believe that was also his, uh, his bill, uh, that, that they, uh, the 10% cap. I believe that was his bill. Aren't you proud? Doesn't it just I give am, you warm man. fuzzies? Listen, my boy did something good. We're going to talk about your girl, Kay Ivy, later. Uh, but, uh, uh, but, you know, I, I, I hear everything you're saying. And, and I, listen, I think y'all are doing great work. And I think, I, I hope you're very successful in this. I don't, don't get me wrong at all. What I'm worried about in this state is that we have done this. We have essentially set up a system in our state 
where we have exchanged fines and fees for taxes. Um, and, and you can look at it. I mean, it's the reason, you know, the actual cost of the fines that were imposed by Brookside, I would bet were probably less than $50. Uh, but then you tack on the court costs, they say. And court costs covers a wide range of things, most of which have nothing to do with court. Uh, you know, they have so many programs that we've implemented uh, and so much money that is generated by these courts to the point where I've told the story before. There was a circuit ju- uh, court judge in Montgomery who asked me, literally asked me to investigate where the fines went. He was imposing the fines and he said, I can't tell you where these things are going. And nobody in this office can tell you where they're going, uh, including the clerk at that point couldn't tell us where the fines were going. So I, I just. Uh, I'm very without, you know, without maybe without y'all being successful. Uh, I'm skeptical that anything in this state and in other states that have traded, uh, you know, the fines and fees for actual decent taxes on people um, are are they're going to go away? They're going to do anything about those things because it seems like we have created a mindset. Um, and I'd like to get your thoughts about this. Where we've in this state, and I think a lot of red states, we we've created a mindset where you can do whatever the hell you can charge whatever the hell you want to to people who break the law. Uh, you know, even if it's them, even if it's me speeding, and I'll go, I'm going to complain like hell about a two hundred twenty dollars speeding ticket. You know, but how do you overcome that sort of mindset on this type of a lawsuit? So I think one thing um, to keep in mind is that. If you're relying on these um, programs and these systematic, you know, fines and fees abuses to fund government, it's not it's illogical in a sense, first of all. Right. Because, like I said, they often target the poorest among us. Right. So you are really uh, trying to extract as much cash as you can from the folks who have the least of it in the first place. So it's, right. it, it doesn't make any sense as, as, well, as, as, uh, as illogical as our right? state motto. I mean, you know, so, I mean, it's, uh, <laughs> that's what we do. Oh, uh, no, 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 no comment on that from me. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that's, you know, that's the first thing to keep in mind is that it's it's not a uh, it is effective because if you do it enough you will raise the revenue, but as a matter of just simple logic to try to extract wealth from those who don't have it is not, is not the smartest way to try to fund your government. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, I, I agree. Now, it's just you know, the mindset now, is just, you know, crazy. Yeah. Now, now again, that being said, um, this form of taxation by citation, right. And funding it off of quote, the kind of users of the criminal justice system. It, what it does is it incentivizes making people criminals, right? Criminalizing people for, for things that don't actually harm public safety. Now, for example, we had a lawsuit in Missouri a few years ago where um, the, the code enforcement and the police there, what they were doing was they were criminalizing anything and everything that they could think of from mismatched blinds to cracks in your driveway in order to, yeah, I, you heard me right. <laughs> Uh, in order to raise the the revenue this way, right? So, like I, the point that I'm that I want to make here is that it encourages criminalization when you when you fund government via taxation by citation. So that's that's problem number two, right? Problem number three is that ostensibly, you know, we as a society are all supposed to benefit from from the criminal justice system, right? And so, it, if that's the case 
we need to be funding it as a society. It can't fall on the backs of those who are uh, unfortunate enough to get ensnared in it and trapped in it and don't have the resources to fight back, don't have the resources to, uh, you know, contest it. And they, they're forced oftentimes to, you know, uh, you know, forego paying rent or for a book, forego childcare or whatever else it may be in, because they do want, they do try to pay these tickets, right. Mm -hmm. And these court costs, because they know that otherwise they'll end up potentially in jail. Right. So again, it, it's a very counterproductive system. So I think that is what people need to remember when they think like, uh, well, we've, we've kind of come to rely on these systems, but you know, just because it's been done this way doesn't mean it should continue to be done this way. And, and there's real, real room for change here and, and real kind of opportunities for, for reform. Yeah, it's uh, illog illogical and counterproductive. That's, that's kind of how we roll. Um, uh, you know, uh, the, um, uh, you, you mentioned before um, some of the stories of, of your clients, uh, and I, I would I would like to hear, uh, you know, some the, the, those stories of your clients. So what what did they experience? Sure. So um, I, if you have the time, I'd run. I'd be happy to run through all four of their experiences well, quickly. Hey, man, we got all, we own time here. We got we got all the time in the world. Wonderful. Me too. So uh, let's let's start with Brittany Coleman um, on Brittany's 25th birthday in 2020. She was pulled over by a Brookside officer by a Brookside officer who said that she was following too closely the car that was in front of her. Now, the car that was in front of her was her boyfriend. Um, and they were driving to get breakfast for her birthday together. Um, and, you know, she says he was, uh, yeah, I was following him, but he was three or four car lengths ahead. I don't know why, you know, the stop didn't make any sense to me. And then all of a sudden the officer um, makes this kind of baseless ac accusation uh, once he walks up to her, to her car window of, of smelling marijuana. So at this point he, he forces uh, Brittany out of the car and he he handcuffs her for no, for no reason that in and of itself is unconstitutional because you need a reason to handcuff a person on the side of the road. Um, even if you can get, uh, ask them to get out of the car. So he handcuffs her. And for the next 30 minutes, she's forced to stand in the hot sun while uh, this, this officer and two others basically search every nook and cranny of her car. They're rummaging through her belongings in the trunk. They're trying to find any, any reason that they can, to either arrest her or ultimately tow her car. Because remember, this is the, that what this was all about ultimately was uh, manufacturing reasons to tow people's cars or arrest them, right? So they're searching, they're searching, they're searching 30 minutes. They don't find anything. They don't find any marijuana in the car, but they claim to have found some. And so they, uh, issue, her a, <laughs> they issue a marijuana citation and say, well, normally we would arrest you, but because of the pandemic, we won't. Um, but we are going to tow your car, right? So we're going to tow your car and we're going to leave and we're going to essentially leave you to your own devices to figure out what to do next. Um, and remember that the, the car towing that, that results in a $170 ransom to Brookside. There's no judicial oversight of any of that program. It all goes, flows right back to the, to the police. Right. Uh, and then the towing company charges its own fee on top of that. And now going back to what you mentioned, Josh, a minute ago about court costs, well, Brittany's marijuana charge was dropped unsurprisingly because there was no actual evidence that there was marijuana in the car. So, but even though the charge was dropped, 
Britney was hit with hundreds of dollars in court costs, regardless. Um, and how she was. That, how is that possible? Is that is is that legal? Is that legal to charge somebody <laughs> court costs when you have to drop the case? Well, so it's it's a, it's a little bit unclear from the records. Um, but but what happened was she was she was also hit with a following too closely citation. Remember the the initial kind of bogus uh, yeah. bogus reason yeah. for the stop. So they cited her for that too. Um, so she paid court costs uh, for that and f- uh, for the entire essentially uh, prosecution of the two. And it is common in Brookside's court and courts elsewhere to condition the dropping of charges on the paying of court costs. So uh, as you rightly recognize, it is absurd that you would have to pay court costs when you're not found guilty of anything. And, and, um, but unfortunately, and, that's all too common. And Jabba, let's go back to something else you said. You talked about uh, handcuffing being unconstitutional unless uh, law enforcement has a, uh, a clearly legally demonstrable reason. I see so many people, I've seen so many people through the years who are uh, handcuffed in various situations. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to handcuff you for my own safety. That's what, they, that's what the cops will say. I'm going to handcuff you for my safety. But so, so is, that, is that a legally, to, to follow up on Josh's question, is that a legally assertable um, act by a police officer to say that just to just say, well, it's for my protection, you know, or, and, and then what about if the person isn't given a reason? So in, in Brittany's case, what the officer told her was that it was standard procedure for officers to handcuff folks when they decided to search their cars. So, um, going, so you're hundred percent right that the officers need an articulable, reasonable basis to suspect that the person that they're interacting with might be dangerous. In the absence of that, um, handcuffing is, uh, is unconstitutional. Now, at Brookside, apparently had a standard practice of doing it regardless <laughs> of any such kind of inquiry into the person's kind of dangerousness. Now, uh, my, I'll, I'll point out that Brittany is a small young woman, you know, uh, uh, a slight small young woman um, who posed no danger to anybody. But again, this was apparently their standard practice. Uh, Brandon Jones, similarly, our other client, he was handcuffed in front of his three small children on the side of the road on New Year's Eve, this past New Year's Eve. So uh, again, there was no basis to think that Brandon or, or his wife or his, uh, clearly, obviously his children pose any threat to officer safety, but he too was handcuffed placed in the back of a police car. All of this was done without reading him as Miranda rights, um, you know, essentially amounts to an unlawful arrest. And they towed, they towed Brandon's car as well and left him, his wife and his three small children on the side on a dark country road on new year's Eve. So, and again, what, what was this all in service of? This was all in service of profit. They're looking for reasons to tow. They're looking for reasons to make to take people to jail. Because remember, if you tow the car, there's a ransom associated with getting it back. Uh, if you're taken to jail, uh, Brookside had a practice of uh, having people bond out by paying cash directly to Brookside, basically. So you you. Man, I'm so glad, Josh, that we've extended this conversation because now I have to question, obviously, there's some civil considerations here, but are there any criminal considerations here as well? 
I'll I'll leave that to the folks who are in who are in charge in charge of that. Um, what I will say is that this was a clearly you know coordinated effort to extract as much cash as possible by by the officers and by the town. So uh, you know whether you know what that amounts to on, on the criminal side, it's not for me to say. But what I will say is that this you know Brookside needs to be held accountable and we need to make sure that there are no future brooksides right that's why you know this this suit is aimed at essentially putting municipalities on notice that if you do these kinds of abusive uh tactics if you implement these kinds of systematic abuses you you know the institute for justice and other organizations are are watching and we will file suit we will push for legislative change and we will ensure that this can't happen anywhere else you know, I, I know you don't want to speak to the criminal aspect of it, but I mean, when you take someone's car without cause and then you force them to make you pay to have it returned, that would seem to be criminal extortion to me. I mean, it just, uh, you know, uh, it just maybe, maybe listen, I know that our attorney general is busy churning out those press releases against you know President Biden. <laughs> but maybe they could investigate this. I, I don't know. Maybe that's just me. Maybe they could What's actually. What's his name, Josh? Say his name. Yeah, I'm not saying his name. That's because <laughs> he loves it when anybody says his name. So I won't say it. Um, so I will. I will just um, just if I could follow up on that. One, no, go right ahead. Time. Go right ahead. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So again, I, I I won't. You know, I'll leave that to the folks whose job that is. But what I will say is, when, what uh, is really important is that bad police officers not be allowed to simply jump from one town to another right folks like mike jones and the and the officers that he was he was overseeing what typically happens is that they'll just go from one department to another so another legislative fix that that can um that can be implemented is to prohibit this kind of department jumping essentially and and to make sure that uh bad police can't continue to just um harm people in a different in a different town for the next time yeah no that's uh yes that is also very, very true. And I, was, I don't I don't want to keep you too long, uh, but I would also like to hear the other two stories. <laughs> I'm sorry. I mean, the, the first two were so terrible. I mean, if you have time, I'd like to hear the other two stories. Yeah, I'm, I'm more than happy, happy to share their stories. You know, they're they're horrific. But I think, um, you know, I, just, I will also just commend all four of our, our, our clients for speaking out, telling their stories and fighting back, because ultimately they're the people um, who are standing up to Brookside. You know, we're just kind of the conduit um, uh, and, and they really need to be commended for, you know, having the guts to, to, to do this um, because a lot of this is traumatizing and, and it's, and it stays with them. Right. You know, every time I, every time I talk to them, I almost feel bad for making them retell the stories. Right. But, um, but I will, I will gladly retell, okay. <laughs> retell their stories um, with their permission. Uh, so Shakitha Grant and, um, and Alexis Thomas were decorating for Shakitha's uh, mother's 60th birthday party. Alexis, sorry, I should have said Alexis is Shakitha's daughter. So they okay. were they were decorating um, for the 60th birthday party. Uh, Shakitha sent Alexis out to pick up some more food from from I think Shakitha's house. Um, and Alexis gets pulled over, um, and the cop says that one of the two tag lights um, in the back of the car was out. So on the, on the basis of that, uh, of that, well, what that, what that stop turns into is truly horrifying. A second officer comes and claims to smell marijuana in the car. 
Alexis points out that, you know, no, the first officer hadn't, <laughs> hadn't made any such accusation. Nevertheless, she too is, is taken out of the car. She too is handcuffed for no reason, right? On the side of the road. And they begin vigorously searching the car. Um, now, she, in, when she was first pulled over, she called Shakitha and said, hey, I was, you know, I've been stopped by the police. Just want to let you know. Shakitha, you know, super mom Shakitha jumps, jumps in the car and heads to, heads to the scenes to make sure her daughter's okay and everything goes fine. Um, and Shakitha gets there and she says, hey, you know, she doesn't, she doesn't see Alexis. She doesn't know where she is. Um, Alexis at this point is handcuffed in a, in a police car um, while the car is being searched. The officer, um, the, the officer who's searching the car, you know, tells Shakitha to back up. She says, where's your driver's license? Shakitha says, my license is in that car that you're in my purse, in that car that you're searching. So the officer again, unconstitutionally takes it upon himself to open up her purse, open up her, open up her wallet. Um, and he claims to find, uh, a small amount of, of marijuana in the purse. So, this turns into Shakitha and Alexis both being taken to jail, having both cars towed, right? And now they're in jail for several hours. Shakitha is not allowed to make any phone calls. They're both strip searched at the jail. Lord Jesus. They're both strip searched. They're put in separate cells. Shakitha has to alert the officers that they've put her in a cell with a man. So she feels, you know, she feels endangered at that point. Yeah. Um, so it's just the, the, the humiliations and the indignity just keep piling up and piling up throughout the course of this night. So, but they, ha they have to um, get family members to come bond them out. Right. So that costs uh, several hundred dollars on top of the uh, many hundreds of dollars that they paid to then get both cars released. And by the end of it, remember, how did this all start? They were setting up for a birthday party. Well, they've missed Shakita's mother's 60th birthday party because now it's 11 p.m. and the party's over. But by, by the time they're, they're released from jail, at least four hours have passed. So, you know, and then they have to go figure out how to get their cars back. Um, the, the, the charges against them have all been dropped. Um, nevertheless, you know, over the course of having to go through these proceedings, you know, they've, uh, they've had to, you know, miss days of work. They've had to show up to court multiple times. They've had to pay uh, costs in order just to have the right to appeal their cases. They've been hit with court costs um, on top of the towing fees, on top of the bond. So this yeah. this is something that that it's that that one night was abusive and horrible enough as it was between the strip search and everything else. But then for two more than two years following, right? It it really upends your life. And again all charges dismissed, but that right. doesn't, that, that so, can't make up for, you know, the two years of, of and, abuse that they've endured. And just to be clear real quickly, Jabba, charges, all charges are dismissed, but there's no reimbursement of the fines. So or the we're, fees. Certainly, we're certainly going to, um, so I, I don't no, represent I'm saying them automatically. On, on the, I'm saying there's no automatic. In other words, you know, they, they towed a car for what reason? You know, they, they had to go through all these expenses for what reason? Because the charges were dropped and there's no automatic reimbursement of the fines. Or right, the so they won't get they won't get those those towing fees back from Brookside or from uh, Jets Towing Company, the company that you know has been working with Brookside 
to systematically but wouldn't that seem to, to be you know, the fair thing though Jabba that's what I'm saying. <laughs> absolutely uh, which is one of the reasons <laughs> yes it would um yeah. you know but like i said these systems don't operate on fairness or logic right. Right. Yeah, is, like, fairness is, is not um, part of the deal right. on this i don't right. think yeah, yeah, so, i just want to um, highlight that though that yeah. all charges have been dropped but these people are still out of hundreds yeah. if not thousands of dollars it, it, exactly a, one, one thing i'd like to ask real quick before we let you go uh, it, it, is the towing company has anybody sued the damn towing company great question great question it is a great question, and yes, we have. Okay, good. good. We, good. We've we've uh, we've sued the towing company because it's become really clear that you know this was the, they weren't just some passive you know passive recipient of all of this. They were an active participant. They were profiting from these tows. They were oftentimes um, posted up, you know nearby just within a block yeah. or two of the police car. Sometimes just sitting right behind the police car, just waiting for the next yeah. opportunity to tow somebody. Right. Um, yeah, and, and when, yeah, I've read some of the stories. They, they were they were said in, in one story. The guy said the the cop and the tow truck driver were parked side by side talking, waiting on him to come by. Exactly. So we, we've we've sued the company because they were an active participant in all of this. They reaped you know the tens, if not hundreds of thousands of, of dollars of, of these towing fees. And um, you know when Brandon Jones, our client, when his wife went to go pick up their car. You know, the the Jets towing representative admitted to her that, you know, Brooks has just in it for the money, but that didn't stop Jets towing from still charging, the, you know, getting their cut and charging the 160 um, on top of Brookside's 170 to get the car back. Well, that's man, that's listen uh we we I, we kept you a long time i know we have but, but this has all been really informative and really great and we, we we appreciate it and um i hope you all the luck in the world in nailing these bastards uh over this uh i really do um and and i hope it, it all works out and man i we, we we just thank you for coming on and and sharing some of this and sharing those stories and and i hope y'all are very successful in this I appreciate you having me. Thank you very much. Yes, sir. Thank you. Uh, I'm, I, I've never heard anything like it, David. That's I, I really have it. it, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. Criminal. It's, just, it's a criminal enterprise. Yeah. yeah. It, it, it really was. And the job was great. And yeah. I just, we'll slide out. We'll come back in just a minute. Alabama politics this week. Everybody, if you would uh, like an opportunity to interact with us here at uh, Alabama Politics this week, uh, we've got a great way for you to do that. Uh, shoot a question over to apwproducer at gmail.com. That's apwproducer at gmail.com. Anything about Alabama politics you want to know about, uh, I don't know, what, what everybody likes to drink or uh, where everybody likes to hang out or you know, whatever, whatever your question may be. Uh, what chances the Democrats might have uh, in the uh, the upcoming midterm elections? Uh, shoot us a question over at apwproducer at gmail.com. apwproducer at gmail.com. Thanks. All righty. Welcome back. Really mm-hmm. appreciate uh, Mr. Jabba Sitsuashvili. Very on. good. Uh, you know, listen. Very I'm good. up on my Georgian. You know, <laughs> I'm up on my Georgian. That's, uh, that's, uh, I said on uh, uh, Twitter that, you know, that we were discussing before we came on that Georgia had uh, applied to be a part of the EU and yeah. all this stuff. And that when they did the application, I said, yeah, it went one national championship in 40 years. And look at them trying to get in the <laughs> EU now. 
yeah, that's funny. That's yeah, football funny. football jokes play well here. Um, but uh, that's funny. Yeah, you know. Um, <clears throat> all right, so as I saw, this is our normal housekeeping uh, uh, portion of the show. Uh, so if you would like to uh, email us, apwproducer at gmail.com, apwproducer at gmail.com. Make sure you stretch that W out. Make it capitalized. Yeah, Chip likes mm-hmm. that. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, anything, questions, comments, anything else, then leave us a review uh, if you would like to on uh, Apple Podcasts or you know, just spread it around. Email it to your friends. Tell them to come on. Please. But, uh, we, have, yeah. we have a lot of fun talking uh, and chit-chatting around here. And so um, we're going to keep this one short because we went really long with Mr. Sitsu Ashvili. Um, and so uh, we're just going to jump right into the uh, right-wing nut of the week and discuss him and his shenanigans over the, over the course of the last week. And that is Texas Governor Greg Abbott. Uh, he is our right-wing nut of the week uh, mm. for his multiple... Uh, immigration stunts that he has pulled, including uh, uh, putting extra checks at the border uh, to check the same things that the Border Patrol has already checked. Um, because, you know, if, if there's one thing you know about that Border Patrol down there, they're really lenient on, mm-hmm. on letting things in. You know, that's what all the video shows. They're really just, you know, letting them oh, slide yeah. left and right. Just um, big softies. Yeah. And so he did that. Then he also sent a busload of immigrants to Jesus Washington, D.C., and, of course, unloaded them right in front of a building that housed the Fox News uh, station. Um, and so, because why not? If you're going to yeah. do a stunt to get yourself on Fox News, why not just go directly to the source, I guess? May as well. Uh, yeah, so, and which I thought uh, White House spokesperson Jim Psaki said, uh, you know, we <laughs> these are all people that are going through the immigration process. Uh, they were all legally supposed to be here. They can legally travel. So we appreciate the governor of Texas paying for them to travel, I guess, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, helping them get to their final destinations. Uh, it, man, it's what are you doing? You know, it's so idiotic. It's just idiotic. Aren't there tr- aren't there problems in Texas? Aren't there legitimate problems yeah. in Texas? That uh, aren't there legitimate ways that you can go about there? Listen, there are legitimate immigration issues in Texas. Okay, there are. Yeah. But that this is not the way to to go about it. No, and 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 again, just you know, like like we were saying before, uh, Jabba joined us. You know, it's just so it's profoundly disturbing how dismissive of the humanity of people these right-wing conservatives are who claim to be Christians. They claim to be Christians, but they just kind of, they have, for some reason, they have justified in their mind a rationale that says, ah, they don't deserve to be treated as equal to me, as a child of God equal to me, as a human being equal to me. Ah, we can do whatever the hell we want with them. Ah, stick them on a bus, ship them somewhere. Ah, we can do whatever. That's just really astounding to me. Yeah, it's it's yeah. You're right. You know, that's the thing that that kind of struck me as well um, when I when I heard the story about them sending the bus to DC, which is that you've treated them as as a lower class of humans, um, and, and listen. We can we can label ourselves all sorts of different things, Americans or, or whatever, 
you know, and, and I think that that's the excuse that we're, we're falling back on here is we're Americans and they're not, and they're coming into our country or whatever. Um, you know, a lot of us got here, uh, by, you know, similar means, uh, you know, remind you of that. Um, and, and I'll also remind you that there are a whole boatload of illegal immigrants in this country that look like me. Uh, a boatload. I mean, well, more than a boatload. Matter of fact, at, at one point, it was the majority yeah. uh, of people who who had just overstayed visas, and yep. uh, and they looked they looked like me. You know, they were white people. Uh, a lot of people from Canada. Uh, you know, a lot of Europeans. Uh, uh, and so, we would never dream. I don't think. I don't think anybody would ever dream nope. of nope. doing to them what they did to those to those Hispanic people, and. You know, if I'll say that, if we can watch those people in Ukraine walk hundreds of miles to to help, you know, to to save their children and their families and and get into a neighboring country where they're not at war to try to save their families, and man, we well we applaud them. Look at the bravery. Look at the bravery. It's exactly what's happening at our border. All right, there's not a declared war from somebody down there, but there might as damn well be. They're, they're, those people are in places where the death rate, I guarantee you the death rate is close to what it is in Ukraine today with an active war going on. All right. And they're trying to save their kids. Can you imagine sending your kid on a hundred miles walk to a different country where you don't know anything? The only thing you know for sure is that their life expectancy is going to be three or four times what it would be if they stayed at your house, right. you know? That's right. what they're doing. And and you can vilify them all you want to. You can vilify the hell out of them all you want to because they look different than you or they come from a different place than you or because they're poorer than you are. But it don't make it right. And and you're always going to be wrong. And it doesn't make what they're doing any less heroic than what those people in Ukraine are doing right now. They're just trying to save themselves. That's all they're trying to. That's the majority of the people. I uh, listen. I, I, you can talk about drugs coming across and criminals and all that, but it's not the, the those are not the majority of the people. The overwhelming majority of people are just trying to find a better damn life and survive. That's all yeah. they're trying to do. And that's why you'll never stop it. You'll never stop it. It's a great juxtaposition, Josh. I think that's a great juxtaposition of circumstances. And the only real difference is, um, you know, well, there are only two real differences, and one is that it's happening at our border instead of, you know, at, at a border over in Europe, and uh, the color of the people and the culture of the people. It's the difference. That's it. You're, You're right. right. It, it's, there's, there's no – they're doing the same thing. They're doing the same thing. They're just trying to, to flee a, a horrible situation. And should their governments handle things better? Oh, hell yeah. Yes, they should. Yes, they shouldn't have to worry about those things. And, and no, their country should be better about this stuff. And is it our responsibility as humans? Yeah, kind of is. You know, it kind of is to take people. We, we put it on a big ass sign under our symbol of freedom in the harbor you know, right. to send those people right. to us. You know, we ask That's for right. that. We want it. And, right. and it's just, yeah. I, I you know, well, maybe they can stay at your house. I said, hell yeah, they can stay at my house. If I need to house some immigrants for a while, I'll take them. Send them, send them on. I mean, just, yeah. you know. And, and, and even that is a, and, and I mean, you know, not, not to diminish the spirit of your generosity, but, uh, 
you know, uh, or your generosity. But the reality is even that is just a silly reductionist argument. Well, they can stay at your house. No, no. We pay taxes in order to uh, facilitate a functional society and government. And government can accommodate people. You know, first of all, nobody's nobody's foisting them on anybody, right? Yeah. Nobody's forcing them to be, oh, they're going to stay at your house or your house. No, no, this is about government standing in the gap and doing something that represents the best wishes and the well-being of all of us. You know, that's just a stupid reductionist argument. Oh, it is. And listen, we, you know, we could we could pay for just about the, the entirety of it all with five less fighter planes, you know. Mm. Um, uh, and it, so it's just. You know, it's it's about priorities and it's about fear mongering. Um, and, you know, it's amazing to me the number of people who will buy into this immigration stuff like this and and be so outraged over it. Yeah. And yet. They will go to Mexican restaurants and enjoy themselves being served by the very same immigrants that they're vilifying. They will employ uh, immigrants uh, that they know to be here on, on questionable grounds. Um, you know, they will do that. I, I know I know at least 10 people. I know at least 10 people that run businesses right now that that have survived solely based on the reliability of undocumented aliens coming into into this country and working for them. All right. Uh, Hell, you can't, you can't run a construction job uh, without, without relying on undocumented aliens to come in and help you. Uh, And it's, I, 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 man, I, I just, it's so, I just don't understand the disconnect that people have on so many levels with, with, with things that are different than them, you know, I just, I just don't, I don't, I don't get it. I don't, it's just like with, you know, when they were talking about the teachers and, and CRT and, you know, don't say gay, you know, we had another one of those bills too, was a don't say gay bill here. What teachers do you know who are doing this? You don't know anybody that are, that's doing that. You don't know. And you're like, well, you, and you talk to people, what are your kids? You know, your kids teachers. Yeah, I know. No more. Uh, I'll go to church with so-and-so. I gotta, you know, we, we go and work out together with, you know, well, are they doing this? Oh no, they wouldn't do anything like that. Well, then who the hell do you think is doing it? You know, <laughs> I mean, it's, those are the people, those are the people you're talking about. You're, yeah. you're not they're, they're, you're not sending kids off to some school where you don't know them. They, they're yeah. us. They live in your communities. They, they live alongside of you. I mean, what yeah. are you talking about? There's a lot of transporting people in from California every day to teach your kids about sex. I mean, Jesus Christ. And I, I, and I suspect it's not even going on out there. Uh, to no, hell no, it's either, not. That's, that's, a, you know, that's a whole other story, I guess. Uh, it's just, uh, I mean, this the, the lunacy of this stuff, man, it just drives me insane sometimes to, to listen to people talk. And I just say, who are you talking about? You know, well, these teachers, what teachers, you know? And I'll tell you, let me tell you this. The thing that really, really drives me crazy. Now, it keeps me up at night driving me crazy is why don't these teachers put a stop to this nonsense? You know? You're the biggest voting block in the state. Band together and vote these dipshits out of office. Stop this nonsense. Yeah. I mean, my God. Uh, yeah. Anyways. 
listen, hey, hey, if you'd like to employ me as your spokesperson, call us. Hey. You know, that's a, yeah, man. I mean, I'll you're cut right. this commercial for you. Well, you know, you know, back in the days of Paul Hubbard, I guess that, uh, you know, when Paul Hubbard and Joe Weed were running AEA, I guess this would have, I guess they would have jumped on this, huh? You think? I, yeah, I, listen, I, I'll say this. I think AEA's done a good job of, of defeating some of this legislation by working behind the scenes. I think some of their legislative team uh, there is is very well run uh, now. I, I disagree with some of the things that they have done, um, you know, in, in terms of, you know, media outlets that they've bought ads with and, and politicians that they've supported. Uh, I don't think that they've got a very good return on some of it, but some of it has paid off for them. Uh, you know, there are, uh, believe it or not, there are pro public education Republicans out there. Uh, they don't talk a lot about it, but there are. Um, and, and I've, I've talked to a lot of them and, and those people have done, they've done good work in identifying them through, through AEA and, and helping them defeat things or at least get language watered down enough in a lot of these uh, awful bills to where they don't really affect classroom environments. And so that that's good work, you know, and you've got to do what you got to do. But I, I do miss the days when, um, you know, I feel like if teachers took a stance like they did in Kentucky um, and and really identified issues that affected them and their classrooms and just focused on those things, right? Just focused on the public education aspect and on their live aspects because they represent such a, I mean, there's such a a wide swath of people, you know, because you're going to get in the middle class folks, you know, you're getting male and female, Republicans, Democrats, uh, public education people, uh, workers around, you know, all in in all jobs of that, you know, of that pay scale, you're going to get all of them that are basically benefiting from, from the things that they're going to do. Um, because that's and that's what they've done in Kentucky. I mean, they got a Democrat as governor of in Kentucky because the Republicans went after their retirement benefits and some of the other things to try to get that money. And the teachers are like, oh hell no, it's, it's time to do some stuff here. Uh, and so they did. And that state is so much better off for it now from a public education standpoint. And I feel like if we did that, it would be not only a change. From what we currently have, it would even be a change from what we had in the in the Paul Hubbard and Joe Reed days, uh, which was better than what we have, but was still not ideal. I mean, nobody was raving about Alabama's public public education system at that point. But you could implement some real change at that point. And, and by real change, I mean like funding change that focused on those poor schools instead of vilifying those underperforming schools would actually put funds into them and boost them up, you know, yeah. and help yeah and just to clarify i mean what i raised the the uh paul hubbard joe reed uh era just simply to because it seemed as though uh my recollection at least is that aea was a lot more active present engaged oh hell yes yes absolutely uh, yeah you're 100 percent right about that yeah yeah may not have agreed with them on everything but yeah but they were certainly in the in the fight they were in the conversation yeah yeah well listen uh paul hubbard and and to to a large extent joe reed as well uh but but i think even joe reed would say that 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 paul hubbard was um 
uh, was kind of the planner. I, you know, I, I hesitate to say he was like the brainchild because it makes it seem like I'm diminishing Joe Reed's intelligence, and I'm not at all doing that. Joe Reed's a very smart man, uh, and and I think they're equally intelligent. But uh, there are certain people that have a knack for thinking three or four steps ahead in, in the political game, and Paul Hubbard was that guy. He could he could manipulate a situation and, and manipulate has a negative connotation and I don't mm. mean it to be negative, but he could manipulate a situation uh, today that he knew would, would pay off for him, you know, a year or two or three years down the road uh, in, in ways that were just as mind boggling to go back and kind of look at some of that stuff. And, and he knew how to, it, this would be a real surprise to everybody. He could cultivate a relationship across party lines and and people liked him, even though he was kind of in control and and knew how to work things. People respected him and liked him a lot. And um, it was so. Yeah, you're 100 percent right. They did run things. And, you know, uh, and and I wasn't disagreeing with you at all. I was just saying, you know, some that we still had some issues with funding and some other stuff. Uh, and I think a lot of that was was race-based stuff that they were never going to overcome at the time that, that Hubbard and, and Reed were, were running the show. All right. Well, this has been our Easter program. Would you like to close with a benediction? <laughs> Got to pass the plate first. No, oh, oh, <laughs> I forgot about passing the plate. Can't, close the, can't have a benediction without passing the plate. <laughs> you can tell that I do not go, that I do not go to church very often. And I forgot about passing the plate. Uh, uh, yeah. Listen, y'all donate. To wherever, you know. Uh, so I told somebody the other day, he was like, well, we, we could, this is not, somebody wanted to bet me something. So we could, we could bet and uh, the proceeds go to your favorite charity. I was like, oh, my favorite charity. Listen, my favorite charity sends one small child to college. <laughs> so uh, in, uh, in about 14 years. So that's, that's, right. that's my favorite charity. All righty. Uh, let's get out of here. All right, been a good show. We've given these people enough. Well, let's slide out. Until next week, y'all be safe out there. Peace.